From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Project podcast. Here we are, episode 266. And my goal for this episode is to relate my previous panic episodes to you, or maybe it's somebody that you know, so that you have a better understanding. It shines more of a light on this gray area of your life because a lot of people come to me for coaching and they are so bewildered and confused over these consistent panic attacks. And there are root causes to these panic attacks. And a proper coach, what they do is they help the client connect all of these dots to why they are suffering here and now to all of these these previous experiences that they've encountered or that they've brought about um, for themselves in the past. And it clicks, clicks together, click, 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 click. And they go, oh my God, I totally, totally makes sense now. Oh, I, I, I understand um, why, like, you know, getting myself into these situations or like my lifestyle choices, why those choices led me to where I am at today. Because, I'll, and there's another side to this too, where a lot of people blame the external world relationships, people, uh, God to, as being the cause for why they're suffering rather than look to themselves and say, what were my choices before? Or what happened to me when I was a child? What was, what were the circumstances and how can I shift these patterns moving forward? Because you, you have the choices within you to choose a different path forward. So in my early 20s, when I, when I was recovering from anxiety, all of these clicked together for me. And it took time. It takes time for oneself to really, really collect the past in a, such a manner that helps them to move forward. And because you have to collect the past and examine it in order to release it. So I've noticed in my 20s a variety of behaviors and patterns I was getting myself into that was contributing to the very strong anxiety I was experiencing on a day-to-day basis. And it all leads up into these great panic episodes that I had. So I was unconsciously testing life on what I could get away with, like leaning on my parents, for example, for support, how much comfort can I manifest? And then once I was in that comfort, I would go off, I would avoid responsibility, I would avoid tough jobs. um, And I would go off with my friend, smoke weed, and just have a fun uh, day of nonsense and then return home later. And I remember now so clearly having these feelings of, well, guilt, shame, disappointment. Um, I remember just the, the, this meaninglessness inside of me and 
that was unpleasant because once all the fun, once all the lights turn off and it's just you in your own mind, the reality always tries to bash its way in through bash its way through the door. And that's no joke, man. A lot of people with severe anxiety can't even sleep because the monsters really do come out at night. But I was living in a very comfortable place. I had a partner that I was relying on. I I liked her attention. I liked the drama because it was the only thing that was really adding a flavor into my life. The drama, the, yeah, the, just the, you know, pornography, external means to soothe and distract and excite oneself, drugs, alcohol, those types of things that are very common, continuously common, especially today. But I was bending reality as far as I could in order to meet internal desires, in needs. And I would do what I could. If I didn't get them, then uh, I would be extremely frustrated, angry, and I would continuously seek out and I would use up so much internal resources, energy to find that outlet that I was desperately grabbing for because I was a, I was an adventure, an experience seeker and an adventure seeker, but not in the healthy adventurous way, but also in a very, um, very unhealthy way. And I, I had these role models that I was looking up to. I was always attracted to these masculine characters like Hank Moody. He's from a show called Californication, played by David Duchovny. Sex addict, um, always smokes and drinks. He's a writer in Hollywood. He's always sleeping on the couch, hungover, and he's always sleeping around with women, driving around in his uh, car and you know, living this flamboyant, free, hedonistic lifestyle and so attractive to, it was very attractive to me. And I thought that's what brought a lot of meaning into my life. And then characters like Charlie Sheen from Two and a Half Men, another one that I grew up watching that was like, that lifestyle seems so great. He has everything handed to him. He has this easy job as a, what he, he, played piano and, and cre- he creates these jingles that, that, you know, he sits down on this piano and he plays a jingle for 10 minutes and he's like, done. Now he goes off for a drink and goes to the bar. And it just seems like it's the P- Pinocchio. It's the part of the Pinocchio story where Pinocchio gets tempted by the fox and the cat. Say, hey, you know what? Why struggle and work your way to the top when you can just take the easy way to fame and fortune and we'll bring you there right and that's sort of what culture is doing is the culture is like hey you know here's this easy way you know all you have to do is it's like the kardashians or it's like the a lot of the youtube vloggers who just vlog about nonsense or play video games and you know have like millions and millions of people it's it's like this easy way to fame and you have to sell a lot of your soul to get there but Moving back to the ideals, I was following people like Kurt Cobain, um, Dean Moriarty from On the Road. He's a character in Jack Kerouac's book, On the Road, which I greatly like, by the way. But he's a character who's seeking drugs, alcohol, who wants the experience rather than take on real responsibility, a family. And so 
These figures I'm talking about are a slave to their internal deities, these godlike figures that have more control over them than they have over it. Because Hank Moody's character, he can't seem to get a grip. He can't seem to support his family. He's always disappointing his daughter. He's always disappointing his ex-wife. He can't seem to get there, right? And it's very devastating, but there's a part of me growing up watching it, there's a part of me that I didn't want him to get there because I I wanted him to, I liked the hedonistic lifestyle because I was living that lifestyle. So I tended to hang around people that wanted to live that lifestyle, like friends, for example. And that's how you can remain stuck in this bubble, right? But as I was moving forward in my 20s, or not so forward, but I was kind of stagnant in my 20s, a lot of meaninglessness, living this Peter Pan lifestyle, um, not really wanting to grow up. My anxiety got really bad. I remember one day at the shopping mall, I was with my ex-partner and I had a panic attack there. I was in the food court and there was this concert happening and I was feeling these sensations, shallow depth of field, shallow breathing, couldn't catch a breath. Immediately I was internal and I ran upstairs and called my family. I kind of, you know, ran out of there, right? And then at the time, I, I connected the dots. At the time, my relationship was extremely rocky. I wasn't happy with her. Um, There's a lot of drama. Uh, I didn't know really where I was going in my life. No plan moving forward. And then later in my 20s, about a few years later, my anxiety came back twofold because I look at my anxiety as, well, my lifestyle catching up to me, right? That's what it was. It's like, okay, Brad, it's enough is enough. You need to make a change or you're going to continue to suffer. Okay. So what happened was I was with my new partner, Maggie, who I'm currently married to. We were at this art gallery and many months before, I I was still holding on to my hedonistic lifestyle. I, I as at the beginning of Maggie and I's relationship, before things really got serious, I cheated on her, and this really caused so much PTSD within me, extreme PTSD because it's like someone going into battle it's an example it's more of an extreme example but it's still in the ptsd realm you go into battle and you do something that you can't believe that you did and you can't even wrap your head around it that's what i felt i felt like i can't believe what i did it went against my morals and ethics and i suffered so terribly from that experience. It's a great learning experience because I've emotionally released that and it's been a long time since I was living that way of life because the person you see now is way different than the person that I'm talking about. This is way before like I started my recovery. And that experience of cheating and bending reality it certainly snapped back in my face 
because I couldn't, I thought I had a UTI. I thought I had a UTI. I thought um, it, it resulted in extreme distress. I was in a place of uncertainty. I was in chaos. Everything that I deemed to be irrelevant before is now relevant. So reality hit me in the head because what, what this PTSD, what this meant really was you can't get away with that kind of thing without there being consequences. And certainly there was internal consequences. I thought I was, you know, Googling my symptoms. I thought I was suffering from a UTI and I was drinking. Google said to help with the UTI, drink lots of cranberry juice. And I was chugging back jugs of cranberry juice. It was so, I was, I was in this flabbergasted state of being derealization, not feeling like yourself, but watching yourself in third person, um, not being able to speak coherently and precisely, but almost like you're watching yourself and, you know, while walking, especially going to work, the, the world was tilting under my feet and I couldn't, I felt like I had no control over my limbs. And this was, this was the big eye-opening moment for me where I, I had to look out into the world for, for help because my parents couldn't help me. They only knew so much, right? You need somebody that went through the same experience you're going through and overcame that experience. So I found a coach online that related to my experience of depersonalization, derealization, anxiety, um, all of the symptoms that I was experiencing on a day-to-day basis because I was misinterpreting all of these sensations for something else. And, you know, Tony Robbins says, where your attention goes, your energy will flow to that place. So while I was in this chaotic state of mind, I went to the art gallery with Maggie. And at the art gallery, the symptoms then popped up again. And I remember walking into this other room, bewildered, overwhelmed. What am I going to do? Oh no, I might drop dead. Uh, I have no control over myself. And then I walk back. Okay, I'm going to regain composure and go back in. But without having any real understanding about anxiety and panic, you can't really comprehend this unknown creature. You can't do it. I mean, you have to understand what anxiety is, what's happening internally. Cortisol, adrenaline, derealization, the shallow depth of field, the rapid heart beating, palpitations, sweaty, sweating, perspiration, right? So I went back to Maggie. She was didn't even notice I was acting all strange. She thought I was just enjoying the gallery, but then I had to sit down and I had to tell her, Hey, I'm, I don't know what's going on. Can you feel my heart? She felt my heart and she said, it's racing fast. And then that caused more panic. I'm like, Oh my God, this just confirms I'm going to die. She got the security to come over. And then I was on her lap and I was just like trying to not die pretty much. And then I left 
the room because when you're in fight, flight, or freeze, you have this instinctual urge to get up and get out of there. It's just instinctual, right? And so I left, phoned my folks, and it was this exhausting day, exhausting day. But what you have yet to master, this acts as a hydra. You know the Medusa-like character? You cut off one head and five more grow in front of you. So it's like, how are you going to defeat that? Because a lot of anxiety sufferers, they tend to solve, they tend to cope with the anxiety rather than solve the underlying root causes, right? And that's where the real heart of the beast lies. And so for me, I was relying on family for support. I was relying on things like alcohol, Google for support, even drugs, anything that'll help numb, soothe, and distract me. But it's not till I found this, find this coach that helped me to understand, well, this is anxiety. And then this is what you need to do to help with your anxiety. And then I later found out the hallmark to all psychotherapy is exposure therapy. To show yourself when in these uncomfortable situations that you can actually survive. That you are more durable. You're more of a brave person than you think you are. That's the only way you're going to overcome anxiety. Not through medication, but it's through exposure. And so, everything in my life that I was avoiding, it was catching up to me. Everything, my past, all of my emotions, from the past, because like Michael Singer says, we continuously stack up what we don't like throughout our whole lives. And we don't deal with those things. Like it just becomes a like a garage field of clutter of all these things that we don't want to happen because, well, I don't like it. We tell ourselves, I don't like it. But yet we have to confront this clutter eventually. You have to confront this clutter. How do you confront this clutter? It's one at a time. Literally, it's one at a time. So for me, I remember having this panic attack in this college workshop because at this point, I wanted to really do something with my life. I was battling anxiety and learning about anxiety. And then I was taking on the responsibility of pursuing a job that I find respectable and challenging for me. And so I'm applying to be a camera trainee at the time and I'm taking this college workshop and then I sit down the first day in this classroom and then immediately I notice, you, you guessed it, right? You guessed it. The heart palpitations, the shallow breathing, the dizziness, and then you get that internal voice. Oh no. That's the voice that always sets it off for me. Oh no. And then what happens is all of these questions come up. What am I going to do? 
do I have to get out of here? I can't get out of here. I need to take this workshop in order to progress forward to my career. Oh my God, I, I don't know how I'm going to survive this. I might drop dead. I might embarrass myself in front of all of these other people. Yeah, really, there's these two fundamental fears to panic. Oh my God, I might die in this environment. And then while I die, I am going to make a fool out of myself in front of these people. It's like, how do you contend with that, man? It's like, well, for me, it was a brutal day because I told myself I can't leave. So I'm just going to have to find a way to deal with this. So I remember just sitting in class thinking, oh my God, these people think I'm acting weird. I'm, I'm always shifting in my seat. I'm always moving my hands around. I'm, I got to, you know, I got to, my mind is racing because when you're experiencing panic, your mind races like mad. It, it goes and goes in your adrenaline. So I, I, I took out some pieces of paper and I started doodling and scribbling on them just to focus my brain. But then I survived the day. After all of that was over, I left and I thought, okay, wow, I actually did it. Right? There's this part of me that's like, okay, I didn't leave. I stayed. And there's this little bit within you, deep within you that goes, I got a little bit more respect for you. Like, Good for you, man. Good for you. And so I came back the next day. The anxiety was there, but it wasn't a level 10. It went down to an eight. And then it, by the third day, it was a four or a five, right? And you have to ask yourself, okay, why? It's because the brain goes, well, Brad, in this environment, he won't die. And the environment itself becomes more familiar, like a rat who gets placed in a new cage. It's like, where the heck am I? And it has to like fully explore the environment, knowing that like, it, like until it's explored, like you can't make sense of where you are. And then that's when it starts to relax is it gets comfortable in the environment. So that's like me in the classroom. I didn't know where I was. And, you know, well, I knew where I was, but you know what I mean? Like the anxiety in the environment are like this, it's like this co-creation of, of chaos, right? It's, it's in the symptoms rather, the symptoms and the environment, right? It's like you're in this new place with these people. And when, while you were in this environment before with these people, you were, you were well, feeling emotionally distraught and out of control and, and you ran away. So now that you're back here, maybe you should run away again. So, well, no, I don't want to run away this time because I have to stay. So it's like, okay, you stay, right? And that's the right way of looking at it because the more you run away from the environment, the more the environment grows in fear and you shrink as a consequence. You become the person like the scared little rat right? Hiding in its cage. But then even the cage itself that you're familiar with, it starts to warp, right? That's like my home, right? My safe zone even started to warp in itself because now the outside world was beckoning to me. It's like, you have to eventually go out there and confront a job. You have to eventually go out there and confront life, do things in your life. And it's like the potential is beckoning to me. It's like, oh, how am I going to contend with all that potential? It's so fearful. It's like, well, you just have to go out there. 
gradually even, you can do it gradually, or you have to just go out there and show yourself that you can actually persevere. So the, the dragon tends to be your only focus at this point in your day-to-day life. If you're now suffering from agoraphobia, which agora in Greek means a public place, the fear of public places, right? It's, it's mortality that's, that's fearful. It's the big wake-up call, right? It's like you discovering disease and death, decay, aging for the first time in your life. And time, right? Time is part of that. That time is passing. It's like, oh my God, it wakes you up. Right? It's like I, got, I have stuff to do. I have responsibilities. Uh, like where am I at right now? I'm stagnant. Your body's always calculating where you are in the competence hierarchy, right? Where are you situated in society? I'm just at home in my mother's basement smoking weed and I'm 27. It's like, oh, like once you like look in the mirror and realize that, man, you're, you're, you're paralyzed with fear. It's like, what? I got I to gotta do something about this. And then, then where the mind goes is, well, where do I go? Because there's too many possibilities of what I can do in my life. I can't figure it out. Where do I go? And then the mind's like, okay, anxiety right away because there's too much potential. But the, the answer to that really in short is you have to just pick one thing and just do it. It's better than not doing anything. It really is. And one of the things that helped me with that is, is doing an anxiety course online when I was suffering at this time, right? I, I, I sought out a program and I started to work on the program and the, for the first time, I'm like, I'm actually doing something with my life. I'm actually investing my time in something worthwhile. Well, I hope that is worthwhile, but it's something that's pro- going to progress me forward. I'm actually taking steps in some sort of direction. So the underlying problems I was contending with were, well, there's two. One was psychological and sociocultural. So psychological, meaning the past experiences that I've contended with that I haven't fully realized and explored yet, the emotions that I'm still holding on to, and those were lingering within me, but also my behaviors that I was doing every day, my lifestyle choices, and that's a big thing to understand. Now, near the end of my 20s, there became a mismatch between what I believed and reality, right? Because I believed that I wanted to, you know, fulfill my internal desires and live in comfort. But my reality was, was I, there's no meaning in my life and I'm suffering. It's like, well, yeah, man, you know, I I believed sex, alcohol, drugs, uh, toxic relationships were important, but they weren't fulfilling in the end. They're only producing more drama and anxiety. So in my mind, I'm like, well, what if I w- would do the opposite? And that's a really interesting thing to, to think about because if nothing's working, what if you did the opposite of what you are doing now? And how far does one have to dive into negative behavior for them to open their eyes to the negative outcomes it is producing? And for me, because I was suffering so deeply from anxiety, I had no choice but to awaken to my internal insecurities, 
and patterns. So to dissolve one's identity, one must look towards their actions first before thinking themselves to prosperity, to peace, okay? And the last note I want to make on panic today is one must show oneself that they can tolerate the terrible experience of panic and the dread of that and survive. They must show themselves that they are more than they are. And that's where I'm going to leave you today on this podcast episode. Let me know if this podcast relates to what you're going through or if it resonates at all, because I believe that we're living in an age where anxiety and depression is more prevalent than ever before. Because culture, like I said in previous episodes over and over again, <laughs> culture is continuously pushing on us materialism, consumerism as being what of top value. And rather than God, rather than peace, rather than love, rather than potential itself, rise above anxiety. I'll see you next time. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety recovery in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.